This is a podcast by One Life Christian Church in Baldwin, New York. We pray that the following podcast would encourage you, build you up in the gospel, and lead you closer to Jesus. We remind you that these are simply tools to help you in your walk and ask that you still look for a local church to attend and serve in. Welcome to the living room. chapter 7, verse 24. And from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Your Bible, if you read along with me, not just on the screen, but in your Bible, there is a quote there from Jesus that really hits hard. And it's verse 27. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I want to clarify something here, and I'll go into it in a little bit. What he means by the children is the Jews. What he means by the dogs is everyone who is not Jewish. I love this story. Well, just leading up to this story, this whole week I had been preparing a sermon, which you might hear soon. I was ready to talk about how we can be the salt and the light of the earth. And, you know, I love just encouraging you, making sure I stir you up to go out there and make disciples. How can I share the good news of Jesus to people who are lost and need the very same hope that I have received? And I was excited to preach that message. And then Thursday morning, I go to my office, I sit at my desk, and I say, there's something about this story that I just read, Mark chapter 7, and I felt like my heart was being squeezed. All of a sudden, the Lord starts putting all of this revelation into my mind and heart, and I say, Lord, I hear you. This is for our house. Today I want to talk to you about faith and perseverance. Anybody in the room, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us are asking the Lord for something? How many of us are begging the Lord for something? I love these stories that we get to read about in Scripture because they give us testimony of what Jesus' power was. A reminder to you that Jesus on earth, his ministry lasted how long? It was only three years. I gave the example this morning that if you think about it, in March, around March 19th, it's been four years since the COVID lockdown. Jesus' ministry would have lasted less time on earth than how long we are from when the COVID lockdown began. Ah, doesn't matter whether you believe in COVID or not. I'm trying to give you some timeline. From March 2019 to where we are today is longer 
than the ministry of Jesus on earth, who I will once more specify. His ministry wasn't for you and I directly. It was intended to be first for the Jew. Because in his perfect plan, he knew that he would have faithful people who would engage in his work for everyone else. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the world. That was our job. That is our job today. Whether we do it or not is what we struggle with week to week when we come, right? And day to day when we are not engaged in this evangelistic work of the Lord that he has called us all to. When he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the world, he's speaking not just to the apostles and to the disciples listening to him then. He's talking to you. Go and make disciples. Tell other people of all that I have done for my good. It's not to fill up this church. It's not for churches to get bigger. It's for people to have hope because he knows that the one thing we all have in common is that there is this deep hopelessness that the human is born with because we are part and born into a broken world. Once Adam and Eve sin, the world standard is to be born into emptiness and sinking and drowning in sin. Now, Jesus is the good news because there is bad news. And the bad news is that the situation of man is that we have incurred this debt of sin that cannot be satisfied except through Jesus Christ alone. But to begin this story, a mother who is hurting, is sobbing, is in desperation for the healing, not her own healing, but her daughter's healing for her daughter's deliverance from this evil spirit. Just to be clear here, she is possessed. This is not a sickness of her body. It is not someone who has passed away. It's not like the woman who was hemorrhaging blood for 12 years that we know the story of. This is a demonic possession of her little daughter. You'll note that the Apostle Matthew in chapter 15 of Matthew, he also gives an account, a different perspective of the same story. Mark is what we're reading today, but you'll notice this parallel perspective that Matthew gives us also. Together they paint a beautiful picture of faith and perseverance, a need that we continue to have even today. And the more I sit in counsel with people and hear their stories, the more I learn that many times a lot of us forget where we come from. I don't know your personal story, but I know the context of this new Baldwin that is way different than the Baldwin I grew up knowing. A lot of us are middle class now. We made it. Right? Like, you have mortgages. We have big homes. You don't worry about getting, finding money maybe for, for your groceries or going to Costco. We go to Costco. Right, some of this was a time where Costco, you're gonna pay a membership to buy food that you still have to pay them for. Like, but a lot of us get to live these luxuries. A lot of us forgot that we grew up in one-bedroom apartments, living with our cousins, aunts, uncles. Struggle. I grew up in a home that was loving, with at least three out of four parents that loved the Lord. Was that weird for you to hear? Let me explain to you. I grew up in a house 
in Hempstead, right behind Home Depot, if you know Hempstead. The only house on a commercial block. We had no neighbors. And in this apartment, it was a house. We lived on the first floor. And if you could imagine a small little apartment with two bedrooms, there were four parents and four children. My cousin and my older, my little cousin and my older cousin lived with us. My little brother also, my mom and dad, my aunt, my uncle. In a two-bedroom apartment in Hempstead. And today we're all... You know, if you, if you compare us to the world, we are rich. We are wealthy. Beyond, we have skipped generations to where we are today. And, and I praise the Lord for my parents. But I also remember a few weeks ago, a few months ago, we were watching a movie. You might have seen it on TV about this Mexican astronaut whose story was that he came from an immigrant family. They didn't have much. And then he becomes this astronaut. He fights for everything to become against everything to become an astronaut, and he makes it. We're watching this movie with my father, and I look to my left, and I see my dad crying, sobbing. And I'm like, Dad, what happened? Like, the story is a good story. Like, this is, he's Mexican. You know, we got to, <laughs> we did it, you know? Like, I'm not Mexican, by the way. I'm Ecuadorian. But I look at my dad, and my dad, I see tears running down his face, and he starts telling me, he's like, Papi, I, if you remember in the story, if you haven't watched it, I recommend the movie, but this was an immigrant family with a father that was losing his job. He didn't know where their next meal was going to come from. They were struggling for everything, everything, losing jobs, not having the papers, not having papers to work, un, not knowing where their next meal was going to come from, and then all of a sudden, our story starts to come together. A lot of you don't know this about me, but I was born in California. I lived there for three years before my parents moved to New York. I was born in L.A. And in this story, the parents are struggling, immigrant family with kids born here, and they're trying to figure out how to make ends meet. I remember my parents telling us that for a season, we lived out of my dad's pickup truck. Like, and I was a kid. I was a baby. And my dad is telling me, see, Papi, I'm watching this movie, but I remember what we went through. And then he tells me stories, and I'm sure my dad keeps a lot of stuff from me because he doesn't want me to know the pain that my parents went through. And for those of you who are parents in the room, you know the stuff you will keep from your children just to make sure that they can have a smile on their faces. But I remember, even when we were small, and going to church, and I remember living in Hempstead. Now we're in New York, and I remember that my parents would stand me up to sing at this church in Queens, and after I would sing to the Lord afterwards, people would come and bless us with a small offering. What they didn't know was that, as my parents would tell, there was no money for diapers and for milk for their new baby, my little brother. There was only two of us. Remembering where you came from. Remembering who you are and that today you have what you have because God was merciful and gracious towards you. But instead of gratitude, I feel like a lot of us carry disappointment even in the comforts that we have today. We get upset because of the things that we long to have that we don't have yet. Instead of being like, wait, hold on, like, I have all of these, ama even, even this, my friends, I'm, I'm used to storefront church. What is this? <laughs> I've been struggling for God's work my whole life. 
figuring out how we're going to pay the rent next month as a church, having church together on a Sunday gathering in the cold and the dark because we couldn't pay the light bill. And what is this, my friends? You know what I had to do to get to this building to be able to have the privilege of being your pastor? Nothing but trust in God. Nothing but trust in God. This, you, are a prayer that your pastor prayed in 2021. I said, Lord, I have people who love you, who want to trust in you, and I have nowhere to put them. Give me a building, but we're in Hempstead. I got no money. Help me. I need it to be free, and I need it to have a family that already loves you but is needing of a pastor. Did he not do this for us? And here we are today, learning to love the Lord together, remembering, though, where we came from. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget where God pulled you from. Remember who God has been to you through all of your story. Here, we see this Syrophoenician woman or a Canaanite woman. She's a mother. Where she comes from matters. It matters because she was a woman who wasn't from an area where Jesus was from. She was a woman because of who she was, a Canaanite woman. She wasn't a woman that deserved anything from Jesus. She wasn't even worthy to ask Jesus for anything. Jesus spent most of his time in ministry in Palestine, what we know today as Palestine. And verse 24 tells us that here he is entire in Sidon, which is what we know today as southern Lebanon. If you'll see this map here, on the bottom in the gray is Israel. On the top is Le Lebanon. Right around that circle is where Jesus would have been. He was about 40 miles north of Capernaum where the thousands, remember the story of the thousands being fed? That's Capernaum. He's 40 miles north. When we hear 40 miles, we're like 40 miles. It's about a 30-minute drive. There's no cars, friends. There's no cars. There's no email. If you're sending a letter, it was going to take a long time to get there. This tells us that he traveled this distance to Syrophoenicia, to Canaan, to northern Canaan, because he was tired. His teacher was tired and decided to go with his friends to get away from people who might know him for a bit. And verse 24 tells us he didn't want anyone to know he was there and, it, and that he wanted to be hidden away. Go back to verse 24 of Mark 7. And he entered, it says, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Remember, Jesus wanted to be around people because time was of the essence. They needed to know about him. But here is something weird. He's telling us that he wanted to go somewhere where they might not know him because he needed rest. But then there's a comma, and it says, but he couldn't be hidden. How do you hide the Savior of the world? I think a lot of us can relate to verse 25. It says, but immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. If you have your Bible open, would you make note and highlight? I lost my place. Hold on. Heard of him. So we know this woman wouldn't have yet met Jesus. She lived far away from where Jesus was in ministry. But here we also see that she has a severe need. She is a mother of her child. And her child has been possessed by an evil spirit. 
but she knew that Jesus was in town because she had heard of him. How did she hear from him? It had to be because of testimony. It had to be because someone else had encountered Jesus who was maybe from their neighborhood and then went back and couldn't keep their mouths shut about the many things that they saw Jesus doing. Do you see the importance of why all of us have to share what we have seen Jesus do and what he, we have heard and believed in our hearts that he is capable of doing? She came to faith. Not because she saw what he did, but because she saw what he did in others. This doesn't change today just because we have TBN. It is still the responsibility of the believer to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the world. That you would be a walking testimony of what Jesus is able to do. This is the power. A lot of us try to hide the brokenness that we have experienced because we want to make sure that other people know that we are now living our best version of ourselves. But we're robbing other people of seeing the glory of what God can restore. That's why I try my best not to ever sell you that I have lived a life that is fully holy, that I deserve to stand here and be your pastor because of all of these nice things that I have done. No, I was someone lost in my sin and wretched, one of the worst husbands that you can imagine. The pain that you, some of you wives feel, I have caused that and imposed that on my wife. And from there, God has had to restore my heart and my soul to see the light and say, listen, I serve a God who can restore anything. He is a God of reconciliation and restoration. And for him, for what he has done is why we give him glory. And it's not that I have been a good man, that I had a, a revelation that I should probably do well and take care of my family. No. I recognize that God, knowing me in my worst state, still made a decision to absorb unto himself all of my brokenness and still die for me that I would have a chance to be with him forever. Remember where we came from. Verse 26, it tells us that she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But what does that tell us about her character? It tells us that she was willing to set her pride aside. When was the last time you begged God for anything? I'm seeing a lot of new faces here today. I know it's the beginning of the year. It's like going to the gym. I get it. You're trying your best. You're trying your best. You're trying your best, and I praise the Lord for that. And we're here to walk this with you if you need it. And you do. But when was the last time you begged God for anything? Knowing the very many things. Not that you need in the physical, although I'm sure that you need something. In the, we all need our provisions. But when was the last time you went to the Lord knowing what your soul needs that you went to him to beg him for it? That you laid your pride aside and you said, Lord, I need you. Lord, help me. This is the posture of this woman. She knows where she comes from. And she knows that she needs this healing and deliverance for her daughter sets her pride aside and says, and it says that she begged him. Matthew tells us that at first, 
Jesus ignores her. Matthew chapter 15, verse 23 says, But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Can you imagine that? This begging mother going to Jesus, and what is his response? Nothing. He goes about on his way. Not even a word. Then it says that the disciples urged him to send her away. They said, she is bothering us with all of her begging. This desperate woman in need was in need of help. And the disciples, as they had done on other occasions, they tell Jesus, Jesus, you need your rest. Don't worry about these lowly people. Send her away. We, let's, let's get to what we came to. It's funny how sometimes it's the same people of God who avoid doing the work of God among the people. And I feel like some, to some degree we're, we're all guilty of this. Oh, we're sending our thoughts and our prayers. You're not thinking about me. You're not praying for me. A lot of us have substituted actual prayer with saying we're praying. Somebody texts you saying, hey, I'm not feeling well today. Would you pray for me? Oh, praying. You never actually get to the prayer. So here's my correction. You just made a promise to a person that your heart is unwilling to keep. When you say, I'm praying, don't delay. Jesus, your daughter, your son need you. Meet them in their space of need. I want to highlight something. This mother is begging for the deliverance of her daughter. But guess what we don't see here? The daughter's not here. She came to the rabbi, she came to the teacher, and her daughter was at a distance. We've seen this before. This woman begs Jesus to help her. Matthew chapter 15, verse 25 says, but she came and worshipped him and pleaded again, Lord, help me. Can, can you say that with me? Lord, help me. Do you understand that that is a prayer? I know that, you know, there's fancy ways to pray. And if you want me to join you in fancy prayer, we can do that. But sometimes, Lord, help me. I taught this morning that Lord, help me, three words with one comma, says so much. First, it says, Lord, I am speaking to the one who can actually solve my issue. I'm not wasting time going to people who can do nothing for me, but listen, she says, Lord, Savior, miracle worker, help me. Help me. That stirs me up, friends. Sorry I got a little loud, but that's, I mean, it doesn't matter how much we have. It doesn't matter how beautiful your homes are or how much you have today in comparison to when you were broke. But your heart has had seasons where it still says, Help, but you have no idea where to go. Well, why don't you learn from this Syrophoenician woman, this Canaanite woman who says, Lord, help me. Matthew 15, 25, but she came and worshipped him. She knew who to go to, and when she got there, what did she do? She worshipped. And by worship, it doesn't mean that she, started, she pulled out her guitar and started singing a song. Right? If I were to picture this to worship him, it means, hey, Lord, Lord, help me. Help me. When was the last time we found ourselves in this posture? Maybe you can't get on your knees. I don't know how I'm going to get up. <laughs> but I'm talking not about a physical posture. 
I'm talking about a spiritual, a spiritual posture. <laughs> I'm talking about a posture in your heart that says, Lord, like, though I have so much, what I need is you. What I need is you. Mark chapter 7, verse 27. <clears throat> Jesus responds to her finally, and he says to her this, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What just happened? Well, to Jesus, you were lowly and mild and, and kind and compassionate. And what he's telling her, let me paraphrase, your Bible might say it this way. He says, you're asking me for something. Don't you know that the bread that I have to give is for the Jews and not for the dogs? Who are the children of God? The Jews. So who are the dogs? The Gentiles. In this story, who is the dog? The woman that is begging. This feels kind of aggressive. It's mean. No, it's not. See, Jesus was making a reference here to how the Jews referred to anyone who wasn't a Jew. Remember that just before this, what did the disciples do? Send her away. She's annoying us with her. They're the disciples of Jesus. They're behaving exactly like those who Jesus was trying to get to turn away from their evil religious work. And what does Jesus do here? He paints this very same scenario. If this is how we're going to treat this woman, then let's treat her like you're suggesting we treat her. Why would I give you bread intended for my children when you're a dog? Oh. For all of her life, she would have known that Jews were considered to be the people of God, the favored of God. But see how she responds in verse 28. It says, but she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. If Jesus called me a dog, my friends, oh my goodness. You go to somebody, you set yourself aside, you humble yourself to go to your neighbor, to ask them for a plate of food because you have nothing to feed your children, and your neighbor says to you, why would I give dogs food that is intended for my children? That's the end of my conversation. <laughs> I'm not going to try to convince you. I'm not going to try to soften your heart. That's the end. But why would that be the end? And I'm being very honest with you. Why would that be the end? My pride. But see, this woman knew who she was talking to. She knew faith. But she also knew perseverance. She says, fair, the food that you have, my Lord, is intended for your children. I'll accept that I'm a dog. She knew that she was a Gentile. She was not trying to usurp the importance of the, of the Jews to Jesus because that was his ministry when he was here on this earth to minister to the hearts of the Jews that they would turn and receive him as the Messiah that many of them are still waiting for today. But she said, that's fine. I, I know that they are worthy of everything that you are longing to give to them. But it's also true that the dogs can eat the crumbs of the children. And Matthew, verse 27, I love how Matthew says it. He says, yes, Lord, she replied. Matthew 15, verse 27. But even dogs are permitted to eat crumbs 
that fall beneath their master's table. I could care less about the children. These are the crumbs from the table of the master. Her faith was such that, Lord, if you would just give me a crumb, I'm not asking for you to give me what you give others. A lot of us care about what Jesus gives others. She said, I'll take a crumb because I know that that little bit is all that I need to be made well or for my daughter to be made well. Amen? Amen. Do you remember the woman with the issue of blood? I shared with you guys a few, you know, well, when Diorca was diagnosed, it was a Thursday. She was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. And I was prepared to preach that Sunday. And that Sunday, we didn't know, we, we knew about the myeloma. We didn't know exactly how advanced. We didn't know the situation yet. But Thursday, that Thursday, we were told the, the wide view of what we were facing. And that Sunday, the Lord gave me a message about the woman with the issue of blood. Multiple myeloma is a blood cancer. And the elders, I remember them reaching out, hey, like, if you don't need to preach, don't preach. Just figure it out. Take care, you know, you need to take care of your family. I said, no, like, God gave me a message about the woman with the issue of blood. My wife's just been diagnosed. I have to preach. If you remember that story, remember what that story says. She says, if I would just touch the tip of his hem, the hem of his mantle, I will be made well. This is the very same type of faith. She didn't look for a hug from Jesus. She didn't even look for Jesus to speak to her. She didn't say, Jesus, take me to where you're dwelling and feed me your natural food. She said, if I would just touch the tip of your mantle, I know that I would be made well. This is what this mother is saying. I don't need for you to sit me at your table for others to see me as important. Lord, if I could just eat the crumbs from your table. I, I, I wish, I wish we would have faith like this. But do you see her persistence? Jesus has said what he said with no explanation. At least I'm explaining to you what he said. He gave no explanation. She said, I don't, Jesus, I don't care about that. I don't care. I know who you are, and I know that your crumbs can make my daughter well. She just wanted the crumbs. See, Jesus didn't see her as a dog at all. She was a beloved woman to him. The point he makes here, that he wanted the rest of the spectators, because there was always spectators. He needed them to see that we all have access to his miracle working power. Even the most lowly of people have access to his power. You, 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 we all have access to his power. If we would just have faith to say, Lord, if you give me a crumb, I know that will be sufficient for me. He has broken the separation between the Jew and the Gentile. And he has granted his mercy and his favor for all the people who would just have faith. This Canaanite woman, she had faith, but not only faith, she had perseverance. She accepted her place, who she was, where she was born. She believed in his word, but she still persisted in her plea. Some of us pray once for something, and we, when we don't get the answer we wanted, we just stop. This is a lesson for us. You're praying for something? Persist in your plea. Persist in your plea. What does this perseverance grant her? And I'm almost done. In verses 29 and 30, 
of Mark chapter 7, it says, and he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Jesus was the only one who could see the genuineness of her plea. And he saw that she knew her place before him as the rabbi and the only miracle worker. He recognizes her great faith and meets her with a great miracle. He commends her faith. And we only see this happen two times in scripture. Funny enough, the two times that we see Jesus commend a great faith is to Gentiles. The other time was the centurion man who was coming to Jesus to ask for healing for not his daughter, not his son, not his wife or friend. It was for his servant. And you'll note that in both of these occasions, the people that would get the healing weren't with them. They were at a distance. One of our fathers this morning, correct, not corrected me, but he encouraged me in this message. He said, we all need someone who is willing to stand in the gap for us. These two people who Jesus commends for their great faith were willing to come to the Lord no matter what. And at the end of the day, it wasn't even for them. It was for someone else. Centurion man saying, Jesus, I know that you can do what we are needing. Make my servant well. And your faith, like he says to this woman, for this statement, you may go your way. By the time both of these people, this mother and the soldier, by the time they get home, what do they find? Jesus' work has been done. He didn't need to touch anybody. He didn't need to put on a show in front of other disciples and put on a spectacle. He didn't need a Sunday service to do this. If he said it was done, it was done. Go. She has been made well. It says that she gets home. When she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone, it's finished. A reminder to us also that Jesus doesn't need to try things three and four times. If he says it's done, it's done. When he hangs his head and loses his natural life on the cross, what does he say beforehand? It is finished. That's a promise. What he came to do to take my sin and your sin, bring it unto himself, he who knew no sin became sin and took it to the cross to die for us. And then he says what? It's done. Who are we to doubt that? But some of us carry so much shame in our brokenness instead of going to the one who can resolve it. How important do we think we are that our sin and brokenness is greater than the grace that he is able to give us? That makes no sense. I challenge us to know the Lord the way this woman does. Warren Wiersbe says this. He's a theologian. He says, great faith takes God at his word and will not let go until God meets the need. Great faith can lay hold of even the slightest encouragement and turn it into a fulfilled promise. You see, Jesus says his statement about the dogs and the children. And instead of her being offended, she said, wait, 
but when people eat, they drop crumbs. Somehow in that statement, she found encouragement. I mean, can we learn to do the same? Can we learn to have faith like this woman? In our most dire situation, there's got to be a place for you to find a crumb and hold on to that crumb. You get bad news from the doctor? Well, the doctor says this. You've been diagnosed with this. Well, doctor, what are we looking at? If he gives you any sliver of hope, would you be encouraged by that? Lord, thank you. You have six months to live. Oh, wow, Lord, thank you. It could have been one. Lord, thank you. You see how our mindset can't be the same as the world. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. And when you beg the Lord to heal you from whatever it is that you need healing from, it could be something emotional, a broken heart, your marriage, whatever it is that you need him to put back together, don't you dare do it without faith. And my last call to you is, whatever it is that you're pleading for, plea persistently for your miracle today. Would you take that with you? Would you make that real in your life today? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast. One Life Christian Church is located in Baldwin, New York. To find out more about the church, visit us at www.onelifeli.com.